Lion Trust are the proud partner of The Athletic's In The Boardroom podcast. Lion Trust have been an independent asset manager since 1995. Right now, they're giving you a chance to win a £1,000 shopping voucher to spend at John Lewis. All you need to do is visit liontrust.co.uk forward slash The Athletic to find out more. Head towards your financial goals with Lion Trust. Now, this competition is only open to UK residents and full terms and conditions are available on the Lion Trust website. The Athletic. Hello, I'm Jackie Oatley and welcome to the latest episode of In the Boardroom, a brand new podcast series from The Athletic. I've been speaking to influential people who operate at senior levels in football about their experiences of working in the game. In this episode, we're speaking to Leon Mann, MBE, campaigner and co-founder of The Football Blacklist. It was founded in 2008 by Leon and Rodney Hines and is designed to help draw positive attention to the black professionals working in football and to celebrate their achievements. Leon also co-founded the Black Collective of Media and Sport, or BCOMS, which is designed to be the first port of call for existing and burgeoning black professionals in the sports media. Our conversation covered Leon's work trying to make various aspects of football more inclusive, from coaching to club administration to the media. We discussed the problems he still sees as being significant, what progress has and hasn't been made, the benefits of a more diverse and inclusive environment, and what we can all do to help achieve that. I started off by asking Leon how the Football Blacklist came about. Yeah, no, the Football Blacklist is an initiative aimed at shining a light on the brilliant black talent that we have within the football industry, but also getting the football industry to self-reflect and hold a mirror up to itself to look at representation in areas outside of the field of play. Because we know we have strong black representation on the field of play. I think the, the uncontested stat is one in three professional players across the top four leagues are from the black community or a black community, if we're looking at that internationally. To have a third of the assets, essentially, in football, if we kind of talk in those terms, coming from a particular community or communities, sets the context of what the representation could or should look like across the rest of the game in all those different areas. And for me, I kind of approach this alongside co-founder of the list, Rodney Hines, from a perspective of, well, how do we show the next generation of young black people in this country that they should not only think about being athletes, but also consider the other options, such as being a CEO, a director, a doctor, a kit man or woman, physio, all those different possibilities within the game. How do we encourage that through an initiative like this? And, and the Football Blacklist is certainly helping to play a role in that. And how's it been received? both from the people you're trying to encourage and from the people in positions of authority to make a difference? I mean, it's, it's interesting. The Football Blacklist has been on a real journey because when we first launched the Football Blacklist, I think there was a bit of suspicion around it just because, you know, the term blacklist and what it means to be blacklisted. I think the game kind of maybe wondered what the objective was. Was it to embarrass the game? Which it absolutely wasn't, but it was very purposeful in trying to get them to think in a focused way 
about the contribution of a community that's playing a huge, huge role in the success of the sport. In terms of the community, it's been fabulous because it's opened the eyes of many to so many fantastic black people working across the game. And they can also see what the players are doing away from the pitch because, you know, we, we celebrate Marcus Rashford very rightly at the moment. But, you know, 10 years ago, 12 years ago, when we started the football blacklist, there was still a feeling of, well, footballers should just stick to football and not get involved in anything else. And for us, that was not the case. We felt they had a wider role to play if they wished to take that on and they should be celebrated for that. Today, the football blacklist is, you know, supported by all the corners of the game from fan organizations to all of the authorities player union etc um, FIFA and UEFA have got behind it as well from an international perspective in terms of throwing their support behind it so we're in a really good place with the community and we're in a really good place with the football industry we'll talk a bit more about that in a moment but you've also co-founded the Black Collective of Media and Sport better known as Bcoms tell us a bit about that and why you did it yeah, Becoms was founded in, well, was it 2008, 2009? And essentially, I'd come to the BBC with a background of working at the Kick It Out, Kick Racism Out football campaign. And I'd come into the BBC and I, and I saw a real lack of diversity. A lack of diversity that isn't just the BBC, but it's across the sports media. And I guess it was a campaigner in me that felt, mm, I'm not sure I can just live within this environment and not say or do anything. And what I kind of also identified was there was a bit of a whispering culture amongst the black staff that I was working with, where everybody would speak a little bit more freely about how they felt about an environment where there was a lack of diversity in the canteen or in the corridors. But when it came to the actual workplace, we weren't sharing our thoughts and our ideas with our white colleagues in the way that I felt would be helpful to that environment, as in we all learn together um, and we all kind of begin to value um, diversity in a, in a different way. For me, I, I went and knocked on a couple of doors within the BBC at that time and then eventually other places like ITV and Sky, etc. and just spoke to some of those leaders about the fact that we have an issue where we have a lack of diversity. Um, and instead of just having, you know, what I guess could be interpreted as a bit of a moan-up, I went with some solutions and I went saying I'd like to be part of the solution. You know, I wasn't there as an individual. I was there at that point representing a group of people from across the industry who had some serious concerns, but some brilliant ideas to help move us forward. So eventually, the doors started opening. People within the industry, senior leaders, would understand what we're about and would understand that essentially we all want the same thing. So by working together, we had a better chance of, of making that a reality. Who's the campaigner in you and why do you feel as though you have a fight inside you to make a difference? No, I mean, my very first job in football after leaving university was at the Kick It Out campaign. So that is a campaign and it was a teeny tiny campaign um, at the time. There was, what, six of us in the office. I remember walking in and going, right, where's everybody else? Or, you know, is this just the management office or whatever it would be? Because I think what Kick It Out has done a great job of is having a presence in the game that is well known. So actually, the expectation in many ways is that you would go into an office with a load of different staff. So anyway, I went in there, started working as a campaigner, I had a brilliant, brilliant time working there. But my relationship with football was very much about asking the question, how can you be better? How can we help you be better? And one of the practical differences you've made is the BCOMS tie-in with the Chelsea FC Foundation. Tell us a little bit more about that and, and how that is giving people opportunities and empowering them. 
Yeah, I mean, the work we're doing with the Chelsea Foundation is very new, first of all. We're putting our skills together and offering two people access to education that they wouldn't have been able to have afforded before. So we um, are currently running a process where they can get an access to NCTJ qualifications that will be funded by the Chelsea Foundation, which is absolutely fabulous. For the you know second year running, we have young BCom students who come to us for masterclasses, getting access to games at Chelsea. We're also doing that with Arsenal and England. There's a lot of work that we're doing across the game and we're only we're only at the beginning of our journey with clubs I believe because there's so much that can be done and now there's an openness to becomes there's an openness to the football blacklist that you know I think if we're all being honest didn't exist before and when I say before I'm talking about 10 years ago because we've all been on a journey um, becomes and the football blacklist have been proven to be successful in the things that we've done so people can see the the, the success achieved and can now see how their involvement helps to scale that up in a way that really, really drives us forward. And then there's a sports people's think tank. Tell us, first of all, what you're trying to focus on there. Yeah, I mean, with the sports people's think tank, that was something that I'm a part of, but, you know, I wouldn't like to say I am the the sole driving force. Um, Jason Roberts, of course, who used to play for Reading and West Brom, um, amongst other clubs. Michael Johnson, who used to play for Derby, Birmingham, and a few other clubs. Uh, Darren Moore. And um, Nathan Tolbert, um, who is a former player and uh, now a lawyer. And Kelly Southerton, who actually got involved towards the latter stages of the development of Sports People's Think Tank. Essentially, we came together and thought, right, well, we never really get a independent perspective from sports people when we're talking about how we address issues within the game and wider sport. So we created this think tank that essentially followed a methodology where we would look at a problem, we would do academic research together with an institution. So in this case, with football and the lack of ethnic minorities, we went to Dr. Stephen Bradbury at Loughborough University for his help and to collaborate with him, get some data together, analyse the data, and then make some proactive suggestions to football in this case, and, 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 and we hope in the future to sport, by canvassing the opinion based on the data from sports people independently to say what should football be doing, what should sport be doing to make changes that are positive going forward from an athlete's perspective specifically. So we did a a number of different reports. The last report we did was in 2017 around uh, black and Asian minority ethnic coaches where we looked at 482 different coaching positions across the uh, top four professional leagues and we looked at what the Asian and black representation was within that. What we found at that point was across all of the coaching positions, all of those 482 coaching positions, there were just 22 black and Asian coaches across those positions. That brings you a statistic of 4.6%. And if you look at the first team roles, within those coaching positions, then you're looking at 3.3%. When you look at that context of understanding that one in three players are black, then that really highlights a big, big problem that the game has. But why are there not so many black managers, do you think? Are the players themselves taking the coaching badges and then knocking on doors and doing the mingling, playing golf with the chief executives who are making the decisions? Or are they as somebody senior 
a black figure in the game that I've spoken to about it says, well, there's no point because they just won't get considered. Yeah, I mean, I think there is a certainly a, a number of black footballers who have taken the position of, look, you know, what's the point? These chairs and these boards, these leadership teams, they're not interested in black coaches and managers, so I'm not going to try. However, you know, I think with this generation that we're talking about now, I think there's a slightly different attitude and that is reflected in the numbers that we're seeing on the coaching badges that the PFA are running in particular because the PFA report that actually there's good numbers of certainly black former black players um, taking their badges, getting qualified and putting themselves out there. You know, people like Liam Rossini, people like Ashley Cole, people like Jolene Lescott, these are people who are coming through who are, I don't want to say testing the system, but they're hopefully trusting the system and putting themselves out there um, in the hope that they will get opportunities going forward. But there are more and more coaches, you know, putting themselves out there. I totally understand why a number of people from the black community just don't trust the game because it's based on on actions. You know, why have so few managed to get opportunities in coaching and management you know when I talk about one in three professional players being black you know of course that that would be a lot less if you go back 20 and if you go back you know 30 40 years but I've been working in the game for 20 years now and that stat has always been 20 percent and now 33 percent so there's always been a good number of black players I think part of the issue comes down to when we're looking at those who are recruiting and we'll come on I guess to talk about representation in the boardroom people tend to recruit in the image of themselves there's all sorts of academic studies etc done to show that when people define what best looks like and feels like it's often very similar to the person who is choosing what best is so if you have uh, white males determining what is best then a lot of the time it will be a, a white male that they will see and deem as best based on their own kind of perspective of what best is. You're saying you think that's changing the fact that players previously used to think, well, there's no point getting my coaching badges because I just won't be considered. Are you saying that you think that those chief execs and the people in the boardroom making the decisions are realising actually that's a really outdated view and we're missing out on some serious talent if we think like that? Yeah, I believe that there is um, a change in in thinking. Um, I do believe there is, um, as a result of the conversations that we're having in this area, um, a greater curiosity in terms of wanting to know more. Um, I think there's more self-reflection probably amongst leaders now um, as, as, as they kind of explore how they become better at what they do. Um, certainly it feels that's been my experience. You know, in, I think instead of um, receiving or so, instead of my interaction with leaders being, well, Leon, I'm, I understand what you're saying and it's such a shame we don't have more black managers, but you know, I, I didn't get one person putting themselves forward or I didn't, um, I've never considered myself as someone who would judge someone differently. Instead of that kind of perhaps maybe defensive um, uh, way of approaching this, I think it's more so, um, I think people are now beginning to say, well, actually, you know, how can we attract more black candidates? How can we, um, how can we ensure that they know they will have a fair chance as part of applying for these jobs. So that's a more proactive way um, of understanding that there is an issue 
and, and what role they can play as an employer, as a leader in changing that dynamic to make sure that they are getting, you know, genuinely the best candidates possible as part of their recruitment. Leon, people from your background and my background totally understand the benefits of diversity. It's it's so obvious and it stares us straight in the face. But as we well know, there is, maybe it's not just a generational thing, maybe it's a case of people from different backgrounds who haven't encountered the type of people in our lives and have only maybe spent time with people who are like them. So just spell it out to them, would you? If they're listening to this and thinking, why do I have to be diverse apart from it making me look good? What are the actual benefits of having a diverse workforce and in particular on the coaching staff of football clubs? I mean, I think there's there's a number of reasons that apply to football in a way that make it, to me, fairly obvious. So if we're saying that of your playing staff, if we're going to base the value of clubs on the performance of the athletes on the field of play, if you're going to invest millions of pounds, let's say at the top end, certainly a lot of money on the success of your club being based on these assets, then actually having an understanding of these people as players, as people is really, really important. To do that thoroughly, it makes sense to have people who understand those communities, who understand those people, who understand the backgrounds, understand the communities these people come from. And then you've got the audience, your fans or potential fans that are within your communities. If you don't have people reflective of those communities within your business and business decision making processes, you know, how can you seriously approach how you attract and work with this customer base and sorry to make this sound very businessy how can you work with these people and these communities and attract these people and sell to these people without a kind of core understanding of the fans that you have coming through the turnstiles and buying and purchasing things in and around your club and probably most importantly you know groupthink which is another business kind of term is a big problem in football i believe because i think when we have people approaching issues from such a, a similar lens and perspective, then we're all likely to, to agree with each other. And actually, I think to have people with different perspectives, different ideas, different thought processes, different backgrounds and a different approach to tackling the same issues and problems and opportunities, I think it makes absolute sense. And it's been proven in the business world to have lots of different perspectives around the table that bring diversity. Now, you know, so diversity isn't just about being nice to black and Asian people. That's not what it's about. It's about getting so many different perspectives around something you need to solve. So you've been thorough in terms of everything you're doing. So for me, it makes complete business sense to have a diverse group of people around you as a leader and around any business and certainly in football. Do you think there's a certain element that let's call it the traditional type of chairman, doesn't want to be surrounded by people who think differently to him, and it's usually a him, but actually (laughs) is quite secure having the type of people who are already around him because they won't challenge him when perhaps he does need to be challenged. Absolutely. I, I think that absolutely exists out there. I think there are many leaders across the game who are surrounded by people who will agree or have a fear of disagreeing with the leader in place because there's a culture where it's my way or the highway that's not the way to get the best from people it's not the best way to evaluate situations and ultimately I think 
the leaders that operate in that way will ultimately be found out, will ultimately miss opportunities and will ultimately be left behind. I think that's what we'll be looking at. We'll be looking at businesses that are not relevant to any other area of their audience or their players or the way that they do business and they'll just be left behind. So there'll be a business consequence to not considering how they remain relevant to the game and to the business opportunities that are there. In the Boardroom is partnered by Lion Trust, an independent asset manager that invests in a positive future. Lion Trust's sustainable investment team seeks companies that help create a cleaner, safer, and healthier society, empowering and inspiring the wider community, and seeks to generate attractive returns for investors. Right now, Lion Trust wants to give you a chance to win a thousand-pound shopping voucher to spend at John Lewis. Just head to liontrust.co.uk forward slash the athletic. Answer the question you could win. Now this competition is only open to UK residents and full terms and conditions are available on the Lion Trust website. Find out more at liontrust.co.uk forward slash The Athletic. You expressed very eloquently the business case for why there should be more diversity in the boardroom. It does sound like a no-brainer to lots of people, it's not to many others. What do you say to those people who are non-white, but who hadn't really considered a potential career as a director of a football club, but maybe should do so that they can then grow and, and develop into those people who then can make the decisions which are better for the club in the future so that they then have that power in the future to be able to bring in a more diverse workforce and potentially more black managers because they see the benefits of the talent out there? Historically, a lot of the conversations I've had with some leaders has been, look, Leon, I'd love to, you know, diversify my board, but come on, you tell me who there is who could come in to this club at this level who is from a black and Asian background. Look, they're just not out there. And my response to, to them is, well, look, you're looking in a very narrow way at who could potentially come in. So what I mean by that is they're looking at the football industry as it is right now in terms of there being a lack of representation. Um, and what they're not doing is they're not widening the net, shall we say. So a good example of this is Brentford recently said that they wanted to diversify their board as part of them becoming a diverse and truly inclusive club. So they put an advert out that they um, had amplified by a story on Sky Sports website. I and many other people shared that story with some very capable black and Asian people with an encouragement for them to get involved in putting themselves forward. I mean, obviously, this was open as a position to, you know, all people, not just black and Asian people, but they had said that they want to diversify their board. And I know that they had a number of applications. Now, they were looking for one person to join their board and ended up taking two in terms of uh, Pretty uh, Shetty who works in the football industry, previously with the Football Foundation, and a friend of mine, um, Deji Davis, who is um, at JP Morgan um, and is now a non-executive director um, at Brentford. Now, you know, Deji and I had spoken as friends about his desire to want to do something within football because he loves football, but nobody was knocking on his door, so to speak. And I think football, in, in many ways, needs to make it more known or needs to 
work with recruitment companies and recruitment companies are on huge sums of money, by the way, to recruit for board and leadership level people, that they are looking for diverse candidates. So what Brentford have done there is they've shown that by being proactive, by being open about their ambitions, that you can identify incredibly strong candidates. If I look at where clubs have recruited to diversify their board, so Brentford and also uh, Cambridge United. So in the case of Cambridge United, you know, I happen to know that they have an incredibly forward-thinking board member in Godric Smith, who used to be um, press secretary to Tony Blair and is on the board of the club. I know because I speak to him that he gets the power of diversity. So I know as part of the conversations that he would have had, I'm very sure that he would have made a case to the rest of the board um, in terms of them understanding what AD on Dublin brings in terms of an understanding of the player base, in terms of a different perspective, in terms of different ideas. I mean, Dion's hugely talented beyond being a broadcaster in business, etc. So he brings a lot to the table in that respect. And that would take a Godric to be around the table explaining what Dion would bring. And I'm sure that it was you know, understood very quickly and a decision was made relatively swiftly to say, wow, yeah, of course we need to get somebody like this involved in our business. So what I would say to people listening to this, to those people who are in positions of power, to those who perhaps are in the boardrooms, don't listen to this podcast and what I'm saying right now and 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 maybe think that that's, that's an interesting thing that, that that person is saying. You know, I would love it if you took this on went away and had to think and then potentially had those conversations within your board and, and helped turn ideas into actions. If Brentford can do it, why can't you? What are we waiting for? So you're doing a huge amount to address the issue of diversity in football and sport in general. Do you look across at other industries and communicate with other industries and see what they're doing and think, wow, we're way behind or actually we're pretty similar to a lot of other industries or do you think you're even further ahead than some industries? I guess where I've most recently been looking at what's happening in different parts of the world in this example is is the black players in the MLS. I was introduced to Justin Morrow and a number of other black players in the MLS some time ago well, I say some time ago, it was last summer off the back of the Black Lives Matter protests that were taking place around the world. And they have put together an incredible movement that started in a WhatsApp group. So ultimately, all the black players in the MLS, I say all of the the black players, um, the majority of black players in the MLS came together on a WhatsApp group off the back of the Black Lives Matter movement um, and um, started communicating about what more they could do to you know, stand against racism, help the black communities that they're from and change what their game looks like. We're talking about the lack of diversity in the game here in England. Um, They have similar challenges over in the MLS, which I was surprised about because, you know, for me, I look at America and I kind of see black leadership and I see black people leading businesses. But ultimately, the information they gave me kind of aligned with what our experience is here. Um, so uh, they, they came together and they have formed a real powerful movement, the Black Players for Change movement, where they are asking of the game, the MLS, their union, all areas um, involved in, in the game and over in the MLS to listen to and to support what they are saying. 
in terms of pushing for more diversity, pushing for a strong stance against racism. And some of the practical things that they've began doing is they've said, look, you know, when there is community work done at our clubs, we are not often spoken to, but we're often just told to turn up at a community event. We want to be more involved in that. We want to help shape the work that goes on in the communities and the resource that goes into the communities. So they've already in the last year been laying down pitches like physical pitches at the heart of the black communities that they grew up in, which for me, you know, is quite a simplistic idea, but very powerful. So for me, looking at that, I just thought, wow, this is something that maybe our Premier League players and players across all of our leagues should be doing and speaking to the PFA about and speaking to their clubs about um, and taking ownership and having, you know, a greater involvement and sense of responsibility around what happens within the, the communities that they're from. Now, we know there's loads of really good community work going on up and down the country. That That's 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 not being contested at all. But in terms of who shapes that, in terms of who drives some of the narratives and with the why around where we're doing the work and how we're doing the work, for me, if players in this country were more involved, if there was a way to do that, um, I think it'd be really powerful and it would be really effective. So for me, that's one area that I've been looking at. And of course, we've been looking at the NFL and the Rooney rule for a long, long time. And we have versions of that here in the UK in football at the EFL and also within the England setup where they've got a black coach or at least one black coach within every single one of the teams that they have set up. But one of the things that's missed from the conversation about what they did with the NFL, and I spoke to the lawyers behind the Rooney rule about this, is they had these, I guess they call them symposiums, basically, where they brought together leaders from across the NFL with a member of staff from the black community or a coach from the black community within the club that they're from. And they brought everybody together in a space with lots of people from the black community who had their coaching badges, etc., were kind of looking for work. And they brought everyone together and they had like a weekend of networking ultimately, but not just networking, but leadership lessons. And it wasn't leadership saying, this is how the black community will lead. It's just people from the black community talking about leadership, talking about different areas of the sport and just generally having a platform to be impressive and brilliant because they are. And as a result of that, that started to influence and change some of the thoughts and processes of some of the owners and senior people within the NFL because they then had access to a different community in a way that they hadn't previously, but but not to be told about being anti-racist, not to be told about the power of diversity necessarily, but feel all of those things and be able to be in an environment that they felt comfortable enough to just discuss lots of different issues within the sport and feel the expertise and feel the value of these brilliant black people as part of that. So that's one thing that I think it would be brilliant to be able to roll out in this country to challenge some of those ne negative stereotypes that exist, that people won't even know they hold. So yeah, there's lots we can be doing. When people talk about the Rooney Rule, when they talk about having somebody who's not white guaranteed an interview, there has been a lot of resistance to that in this country. Admittedly, maybe a couple of years ago, and things might have changed since then. But what's your gut feeling when you hear that? Do you think you just don't get it? 
Or do you think, yeah, I understand, but unless we go through this process, then nothing will ever change? Yeah, I mean, it's, for me, it's very much a feeling of, look, we're, we're doing this as a last resort. And look, I think everybody is up for alternative suggestions. And the alternative suggestions are just nowhere near as impactful as the Rooney rule or an equivalent of that has been and will continue to be. But again, for me, I think it's about breaking down and that's what the Rooney Rule ultimately is about. It's about breaking down these stereotypes, breaking down these negative perceptions, these misinformed views by forcing people to be sat opposite somebody from a different community and allowing them to share their ideas and views and then making a, a decision off the back of that. You know, um, I think the thing that people get confused about is they think it's positive discrimination in the sense of having to give somebody something based on their race, gender or another protected characteristic, when actually this is positive action in terms of creating a situation that wouldn't normally happen, and history has told us that, to give somebody an opportunity. And I think if we look at the success in the EFL at kind of academy level, it's already begin to you know have some success I don't have the exact figures in in front of me right now unfortunately but it has helped to improve representation at that level that kind of shows that given a chance it can work. Can you just explain to those who don't know what the Rooney Rule is? Yeah sure I mean the Rooney Rule is essentially a recruitment process um, where a club or national association commits to interviewing at least one candidate that brings a different diversity or is underrepresented. In the case of, let's say, England or you know a Premier League club, if, if they were doing this in their academy, then they would say, right, OK, of the six candidates that we've got, one of which is black or Asian, and that is the Rooney rule effectively working to make sure that they have given an opportunity to someone that traditionally the game has not given opportunities to. So there is no, in any way, commitment to giving that person a job. You know, that would be wrong. Um, but there is a commitment to listening to somebody who brings a different diversity as part of the process. And what about allies? We talk a lot at Women in Football about having male allies. Who are the best allies you think that you can engage in um, who are white and who can make a difference? And how do you encourage them to be able to help you? The greatest allies are those people who are the people who can make decisions, um, who are the p- people in power and those people who can, you know, influence the people in power to make change and to change the way they do things to make them and their businesses more more relevant to the communities um, and audiences that they serve. Um, in terms of how um, we do that, um, I mean, for me, you know, I've had ongoing conversations that are now relationships with pretty much all of the sports media bosses across all of the mainstream sports media, I would say. But, you know, we've all been on a journey and those journeys have been quite different based on the approach of those particular leaders to these issues. And the one thing I would say is come Black Lives Matter 18 months ago or, you know, or so ago when we were having some you know, pretty uncomfortable discussions about the progress that we've made in terms of the relationships between BCOMs and the various broadcasters and newspapers, etc. Pretty much all of those leaders were in a place of, yeah, we know. <laughs> yeah, we know we need to do a lot more. And we know we've been saying this for some time. 
you know, let's get really, really focused on what the actions are that we have in place. And let's, you know, look at what the timelines are, what the budgets are, and who's accountable. You know, those three things that if, if you're dealing with anything serious in business or in life, you know, you need those three things. And if you don't have those three things, it's very, very difficult to make the progress that you want to make. So our, our conversations were very much focused around that. And, you know, today is, is a big day for BCOMs because, you know, we have our first full-time member of staff that started today. Um, and we're 12 years into our journey. And that is as a result of um, the sports media understanding that if we're going to make serious progress and if we're going to make our collaborations and relationships work, you're going to have to put some money in. Um, and that was a reluctance beforehand um, for, for for reasons that I can only associate with where this issue sat on the list of priorities for the business. Um, I think Black Lives Matter made this um, an issue um, that began to sat on agendas and not in the AOB raised by the one black person who might be around the table or the one woman who might be around the table saying, what are we doing about diversity? And it being, yeah, we need to do something on that. Let's, you know, get a meeting in with somebody who knows about this and report back from there. No, it's, it's, it's shifted to, right, what progress have we made on this area since the last meeting? You know, I, I do think that that's beginning to, to, to happen from, from the experience of the people that I'm working with. You're pushing everyone in football on the right direction, Leon. Thank you so much for joining us on In the Boardroom. It's been fascinating to hear your insight on the practical differences you're making to the landscape of football. Thank you. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. Thanks to Leon for sparing the time to speak to us and thanks to you for listening. If you enjoyed that and would like to hear more insights from those operating at senior levels in football, then do subscribe to the In The Boardroom podcast feed. Plus, if your podcast app gives you the option, then you might like to leave us a nice review. In The Boardroom from The Athletic is presented by me, Jackie Oatley, and is produced by Steve Hankey. The Athletic. Lion Trust are giving you the chance to win a £1,000 shopping voucher to spend at John Lewis. All you need to do is visit liontrust.co.uk forward slash The Athletic and answer the question. This competition is only open to UK residents and full terms and conditions are available on the Lion Trust website. That's liontrust.co.uk forward slash The Athletic.